This morning we're going to be turning to Genesis 4, 1 to 16, and we'll be reading that, and after that we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. Genesis 4, 1 to 16. Now Adam knew his, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of the flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do praise your name for your holy word. We desperately are in need of your word, Lord God. We thank you we can worship you in song and spirit, Lord, but now we want to worship you in your holy word. We want to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to our church, Canyon Bible Church this morning. So open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to your holy word we pray. Amen. So verse 1. Let's read that again. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now we do have young ones this morning, so it's very important to state that Adam was just saying, I know my wife, and therefore they had two babies. They were married. I'll leave the rest to your parents to, to explain. But let's continue reading. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, the phrase, with the help of the Lord, is not in original language. That's why quite a few commentators believe that Eve um, believed that Cain, her firstborn child was the promised one from Genesis 3.15. So he would actually read this. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten the man, the Lord. So now this is very possible. She believed this because you can imagine the very weight of this curse that was now upon them. 
and the aftermath of sin, the aftermath of sin, of, the, of guilt and shame that lingered on. And we can testify to that, right? Even though we're forgiven. And you can also imagine the culture shock that was in their hearts and minds from this very recent curse being fresh and new in their minds. Uh, this curse embedded and saturated every nook and cranny of creation, including themselves. So they desperately needed hope, and hope they did receive. The Lord covered them. They received forgiveness of sins. They received the promise of the one that would come and fulfill their redemption. Thank the Lord for that. But in verse 2, life goes on. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So they began to rebuild. It became industrious. They were working and planting and building a family. And a family they had. A beautiful family. And for all practical purposes, everything around them was beautiful too. And even though there was brokenness, it was very pristine. So they moved on. And unfortunately though, as time passes, our convictions can also fade away as well. Many of us recall when Pastor Kyle and James pointed out in the last two weeks how Adam and Eve played down their sin, how they blamed each other, they blamed Satan. They did not take responsibility. And also how they stopped referring to the Lord uh, as the Lord God in a more diminishing way. Instead of saying the Lord God, just God. So not if, but when. We our two selves know that when we diminish God in our hearts, in our minds, we, think, we tend to think more highly of ourselves. God is demoted and man is promoted. So we forget our true and utter dependency of our Lord God and His grace. So Adam and Eve had two precious, beautiful babies, Cain and Abel. And that's easy to imagine, being precious and cute and beautiful and Heather and I are enjoying our two grandbabies, baby Wynn and Coral. They're adorable and precious. But Cain and Abel, they, had, they were cute babies. They, were, they had so much potential, especially Cain. Now, Cain was believed to be the Messiah. So although they were cute, precious babies, they do grow up. Babies grow up, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. They need to grow up. <laughs> But they do develop. They develop, they develop to, to, to toddlers and, and, and children. And, and I, I was going to say kids, but Heather always corrects, corrects me. Do not say kids. Kids are baby goats. They're children. So, but to Adam and Eve's surprise, um, they did not have to teach their, their children to act like goats or to sin. They found that out. Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So point number one in our outline, we all have sin and in desperate need, desperate need of a Savior. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Cain and Abel grew up. Young boys, teenagers, and most of us remember that. Maybe most of us rather not remember that. But with that being said, you can imagine Cain and Abel complaining to their mom and dad about their chores, hard work, 
And hard work with sweat was part of the curse, but that's, the Lord used that, right? And he's using that for our good and his glory today. But how would that look like? It wouldn't be so bad, Dad, Mom, it wasn't for the curse. Let's recall what the Lord told Adam in Genesis 3, 17. Because you have listened to the Lord, to the voice of your wife, the voice of your wife, and you've eaten the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and by sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Sweat. We have to sweat. You know, sweat is like gold nowadays. Even one drop of sweat from a teenager is worth its weight in gold. And they would have continued, Mom, Dad, we resent you for bringing this curse upon us. Is it really true that it was paradise? And so if that was true, why do you have expectations on us? I mean, you had it made in the shade, but yet you still blew it. And they continued, yeah, yeah, you're forgiven because God covered you with animal skins. And yeah, we're forgiven if we do this covering thing. But we know, Dad, we know that you still resent Mom for deceiving you. And Mom, yeah, your excuse is a serpent. But hey, by the way, Dad, why weren't you protecting Mom? Why weren't you there? So I'm sure that was a defining moment for Eve, Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they probably thought, too, if Cain was in that conversation, like, huh, Maybe he's not the Messiah. So we get the picture of this model family, if you want to see it that way. They're not a whole lot different than us, right? Amen? Especially what we have read of Cain murdering his brother Abel. But we know the murder of his brother did not just spring out of nowhere. This was something that was brewing in his heart, just like how sin can brew in our heart. In James 4, 2, it says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, Cain, Cain, murder. You covet, Adam and Eve, coveting knowledge and power. You covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel. This last couple of days, a lot of us, a lot of couples uh, enjoyed the marriage retreat and we were encouraged how we quarrel with each other because it's a sin that's in us. Or we just sunk. We cast down our idols. Make us, have us have clean hands and pure hearts. Let us not rise our souls to one another. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spit it on your passions. You adulterous people. So this verse illustrates how we're all responsibility, have responsibility for our sins. Adam cannot blame Eve, Eve the serpent, Cain and Abel. Can't blame each other, their parents. Verse 3, let's look at verse 3 at our passage. In the course of time, Cain. In the course of time, now at this point we don't know if they were teenagers, young men, or fully grown man, but in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel 
also brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So the Lord accepts Abel's offering, a firstborn lamb, but not Cain's. Cain's offering is an offering of the fruit of the ground. So one's accepted and the other is rejected. So we should review the fall of Adam and Eve, how the fall of man inherited this curse and how every generation afterwards inherited this curse. So why is this so important, the magnitude of this curse? Let's recall in Genesis 3.3, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So Adam and Eve were in the face of death. And not only physically, of knowing they can get ill and dying, but they were in the face of eternal hell. Thank the Lord that he clothed them with animal skins, including the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, no forgiveness of sins. So they were no longer in danger of hell. But now we have Cain and Abel facing their eternal future. But God did provide a way, through a prescribed way as well, a firstborn lamb. Colossians 1.15 to 20. You can keep your finger in our passage. I'll just read this to you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus here is the firstborn who is represented in this prescribed offering through his blood shed on the cross. So the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.29. So this promise that was first given in Genesis 3.15, you can turn there if you like, maybe a page backward, Genesis 3.15. is a prophetic verse that was originally told to Adam and Eve, and this truth was passed down to Cain and Abel. But it's only by faith that this was a promise, a, a covering of their sins, as, as well as generations that would follow, that would, would ultimately be fulfilled on the cross thousands of years later. And from our standpoint, this was 2,000 years ago with Jesus the Christ on the cross. So let's look at the second part of verse 3. I'm sorry, 3, the second part of verse 15. He, Jesus, will crush your head and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So this promise was given to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and many generations that follow, including ours. But although in many ways this was still a huge mystery to them, they, don't, they didn't have the knowledge that we have today that the coming Messiah would come. But we know this from the standpoint, from our standpoint. So Adam, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, 
didn't know when this promise would be ultimately be fulfilled. But this offering was their only hope, the foreshadow of the final redemption through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Jesus did crush Satan's head. Amen. By winning victory over sin, which we have. Thank you, Lord, from the cross. And we can remember that God planned this perfect, this perfect plan of redemption from eternity past. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages began. So let's turn to Hebrews 11, 3 and 4. Because the firstborn offering involved obedience to God with a deep conviction here. And the Holy Spirit gives us that conviction. He gave them the conviction because God commanded this type of offering. But this must be an offering with the act of worship with faith. With faith. So this is why God accepts Abel's sacrifice, his shedding of blood with faith. And we're going to hear this from the the actual Hall of Faith chapter 11. Hall of Faith chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. So, without faith, Abel's offering was no different than Cain's offering. Without faith, without faith or true obedience to God's command of this divine prescribed offering, it would be a self-described offering. So we could be theologically correct, just like we came forward this morning to take communion. We could even, like Pastor Tom noted, we can reflect, but without faith, without the true deep conviction, it's a self-prescribed way to gain favor before God. Just like Cain bringing fruit of the field. It was his own self-prescribed way. And we know many people do good works, but they're not towards God. It's about themselves. Or do we take the seriousness of our sin, the magnitude of this curse? Do we see how totally depraved we are before a holy God? That's why many religions today, they say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to, have to be so bloody? I mean, this sounds sadistic. It's because the wrath of God had to be poured on his only son to fulfill his justice. That's the only way we receive mercy. So do we see the magnitude of our sin before a holy God and for him to fulfill that through his mercy and love this morning? Do we approach God in true worship? Or is it our own way like Cain's? Why did Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Because there was and there is no other way but through Jesus. That's why Cain Abel's offering was accepted. 
he was commended as righteous. So how, is my question to you this morning, how do you consider yourself righteous? Point number two in our outline. Jesus is the only hope. He is glorified when we approach him by true faith, which are accompanied by good works. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. I like how some versions say diligently seek him. James 2.26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. So sadly, so sadly, that often, this often heard message of faith is easily despised or even neglected by those who often engage Sunday after Sunday in worship. This is dangerous. It's dangerous. Not just opposing the message by neglect. Throughout Bible history, God's mighty hand of wrath because of his holiness was upon man's foolishness of despising his holiness. So in one form or another, whether it's intentional or we neglect this often gift of God from the cross, we neglect it. We don't have to despise it. We can neglect it. It's not a priority. It's a boring thing to us. We don't see our, our need in the magnitude of this curse, our need of forgiveness because of our total depravity. So let's turn to Joe, Jude one eleven. Rather than the hall of faith chapter, Jude would be considered the most, maybe the most despised book, despised men of the Bible. Like the America's most wanted list, you might say. Let's look how the Holy Spirit illustrates the way of Cain, who we're talking about this morning, alongside with two other historical foolish men who rebelled against his holiness in Jude one eleven. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds, Shepherds would also be so-called pastors or fake spiritual leaders. Let's continue. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along the winds by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So the deepest, darkest parts of hell are reserved for those who would be so bold to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jude here is the most despised list, ripe for judgment. And Cain, you might say, is the first in the lineup of this list. Look how the chapter begins again. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. So this is a warning for false pastors, false spiritual leaders, and who pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that would include uh, in churches today. Today we know how that relevant that is because people are offering, you might say, the 
fruit of the ground like Cain. They go door to door diligently. Or they give to the poor, which is a good thing, giving to the poor. But they're offering this not unto God as a, as to approach God in his holiness, but they make it about themselves like Cain. It's like Jews said, it's for their own gain. And that's why it makes it an unprescribed holy offering of God without faith. So it's a form of pride, it's about themselves. Turn to Numbers 16. Let's also get a clear picture of how Korah, another one on this list, challenges God's authority along with Dathan and, Ab- and Abiram. These three men are described in Jude. So these three men, Korah, uh, Cain, Korah, and Balaam actually, described in Jude. But now it's talking about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They're associated, Dathan and Abiram are associated with Korah, described in verse 1. Let's start in verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with the number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You sense the, the anger here and the jealousy? Like Genesis 4, 5, when Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And Cain, he was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has, has your face fallen? Numbers 16, verse 4, let's continue. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and said to Korah and all of his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is, who is his, who is holy and who will bring him near to him. And one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all of his company, put fire in them, put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You've gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Here now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel and bring you near to himself? Let's reread that in a more simplified way. Is it too small of a thing, a small thing to bring you near himself. Thank the Lord that we are brought near under this new covenant. Amen. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean of an evil conscience. That's the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ and our bodies washed with pure water. Thank the Lord for that. Let's start over in verse 9. Is it too small of a thing for you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and stand before the congregation to minister to him that he has brought you near to him and all of your brothers, the sons of Levi with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Look at the arrogance at this of them. 
Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. And what is Aaron that you grumbled against him? And Moses sent to Dathan and Byram and sons of Eliab and said, We will not come up. It's a small thing. So they're mocking his phrase. It's a small thing that you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. So you see they had, they're complaining, killing them in the wilderness because they had selfish expectations of Moses. But really, this is selfish expectations against the Lord God. And do we do that in the sphere of our own lives? Again, verse 13, to kill us in the wilderness? Who made you prince over us? Now, here's the question of God's authority, right? Appointing Moses. Young men and young ladies here this morning, God has appointed over you parents and teachers. Even if you don't like it and it's not easy, God has ordained that for your season of life, even though they're not perfect. Moses was not perfect. We're not perfect. Or for older, God's appointed a boss over us. And there's a lot of good reasons not to like it. But thank the Lord, he uses us that for our good, his glory to sanctify us in his mighty plan. Amen? But they complained. They continued to complain. Boy, that's a common thing the Lord really hates. Verse 14. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Wow, put out eyes? Well, look at the hyperbole here, right? <laughs> Sound familiar? Mom, Dad, you want me to clean my room, take out the trash, and pull weeds? Do you want me to die? Let's continue reading. Because this is what happens when we allow our hearts to harden. Because we complain in our hearts. We don't always have to voice it, right? So after Moses invited them to meet, this is what they said in the second part of 14. We will not come up. They're stubborn. We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. Sound familiar? The Lord had no regard for Cain's offering. So listen how, the, how reasonable the Moses is though. He said to the Lord, verse 15, I have not taken one donkey from them. Sounds a little redneck. <laughs> no. I'm taking one donkey. I have not harmed one of them. Boy, the Lord's reasonable with us, isn't he? He's so long-suffering. Let's return to Genesis 4, 5, and 7. And while you're turning there, I just thank the Lord how reasonable, how long-suffering he is with mankind. Over and over again. While you're turning there, I want to read to you Isaiah 8, 1, 18 to 20. Now come, come now, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, are, they shall be like as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing, sound familiar? If you're willing, Cain, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse, if you're not willing, you shall eat 
it shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In our outline, point number three, God will also be glorified through Jesus Christ even with the destruction of those who rebelled and those who will continue to rebel in unbelief. Romans 9, 23, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand in glory. So God said to Cain, if you do well, just like our passage from Isaiah, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Let's reason. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door in our passage this morning. Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. So sin is crouching at the door. Picture a ferocious lion right at the door. The moment like you would open the door of your house. Ready, crouching, ready to pounce on you and devour you. Pastor Carl read this last week. First Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what does sin look like in our heart? Sin has the power of darkness, and behind it, we take it for granted, by the way, the deceitfulness of sin, and how we could be so hardened, so slowly and so subtly. It could seem so small at first, and it deceitfully grows in our heart. Picture a cute little lion cub. You know, they come out cute and cuddly, right? When they first are born until they grow into a fully grown lion. I've heard stories of, of trainers and, and uh, families or whatever, adopting these cute little cub lions. And, and they have a good life with that little cub as it grows into a, a fully grown lion. They feed it, they train it, um, and it's like a pet of their family. Until one day, that instinct comes back into that lion and it turns on them and devours them. It does not go well. And that's no different when we feed that little hidden sin in our heart. Or it may not be hidden. We feed it. We coddle it. We train it. We think we have it under control. We're not really training it, but we think we're training it. It becomes our little pet sin, and all of a sudden, it turns on us and devours us. Hebrews 3.15 Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's continue in Numbers 16, 16. Because this is where we know, realize that Cain hardened his heart like these others with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And here Moses pleads with them. Verse 16 but he also challenges them now before a holy God because God has enough. 
Verse 16, Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. Let everyone of you take a censer and put a censer on it. Every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also. And Aaron eats his censer. So every man took a censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I might consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O Lord, the God of all spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses rose and went to Dathan, and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that I am the Lord, that, that the Lord God has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been my own accord. If these men die as other men, and, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, they will go down alive to Sheol. And then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had spoken, Finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went alive in Sheol, and the earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallows us up. And then fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men offering the incense. Wow. Now that truly is the wrath of God displayed. Amen. I mean, we think the lion crouching at the door, Satan seeking whom he may devour. We should be fearful of him. And we should be wise of that. And very fearful if we don't know the Lord. But this is nothing compared to the line of the tribe of Judah. The stakes are high here. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 30. You either are for me or you're against me. Or like in our passage this morning, verse 7. Verse 7 of Genesis 4. If you do well, thank the Lord. If you do well, will you not be accepted? But again, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it or master over it. And thank the Lord, we know that we can only master over sin because of the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart because of the, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is our master who is ruling in our hearts. So we have 
mastery over our sin. Sin has no longer dominion over us. Amen? Or we're against him. Like in verse 8 to 11 in our passage. Like Cain. Cain, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth. Sound familiar? To receive your brother's blood and from your hand. This morning's application do you have a true desire to approach God through Jesus Christ by faith? And if you have, what fruit do you see in your life? Because we can see from Cain, he says, am I my brother's keeper? He, didn't, he, didn't have, he had no love even for his own brother, flesh and blood. Am I my brother's keeper? That's revealing of the fruit. And he also didn't have a desire, a true desire in obedience with faith to approach God. There's no desire. He brought the fruit of the, of the field. It was his own way, not the way of Christ. No evidence, no evidence of true or real repentance. Just sorrow for the consequences of his sin. Not godly sorrow. Look at verses 10 and 16 of our passage. And the Lord said, what have you done? The Lord, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be like a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. It's all about him. It's not godly sorrow. It's sorrow for his consequences. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. And settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain was only sorrowful for his sin. He left the presence of the Lord and started his own life. He continued in his own walk. It's tragic. Hebrews 10, 26 to 29 says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment? How much worse punishment? In closing, do we want to flee to God with an offering of true worship? or flee from God from his wrath. How much worse punishment 
do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled on her foot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged a spirit of grace? Are we going to outrage the spirit of grace or are we going to run to the grace of God? In closing, let's pray. Father God, we do run to you. We need you, Lord God. We want, we utterly, desperately depend on you. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord God, that we can run to you and approach you because of the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore the wrath. Full justice, paying the full propitiation for our sins, the full penalty that the justice of God might be satisfied. Thank you, Lord God. By faith, Lord God. Search our hearts. Do we have the true faith, Lord God, that we're turning to you with full faith and surrender and trust, with repentance, turning from our own lives, turning to you. Lord God, we look to you. We thank you, Lord God, that you are continuing to grow us and sanctify us according to your holy will. We worship you and praise your name. Amen.